I'm telling you. Two, ways, two weeks away seems like an eternity, you know, and, uh, you know, last Sunday we were like, maybe we'll go, and we said, you know, if we go, we won't get out till two in the afternoon, which is the usual time we get out, and, uh, you know, we'll be the last ones out the door, as usual, so anyway, but then all of a sudden you're, you're suffering from another week of not being there, but it is good to be here. A couple things I want to say this morning, it is so good to have the mama of the network here with us this morning. Cheryl Gill's here. Come on, Cheryl, just stand up and wave at everybody. Praise the Lord. Cheryl, could you, just, could you come on up and just say hi to everybody, Cheryl? Uh, not often we get Cheryl and not Ken. Praise the Lord. So, woo, come on now. Amen. Just uh, let everybody know what Ken's up to this weekend, why you're here, why and here. did my wife turn this on? Okay, good. And uh, hello, bless everyone. You. It's good to be here. Amen. And uh, to see the water and the trees, and because I've lived half my life in eastern Ontario and half in western, I mean Canada, Canada. And uh, it's always good to come back. And as my brother-in-law was picking me up and driving, I said, "Look at these trees," because you have to know in the west, it's evergreens forever. And here you've got many varieties and a few evergreens. Ken is at home. He's on his way to the USA for a conference next week. And I said, I just need to rest and see family. My family, your family, and Ontario. And so I'm not going to join you this time. And that was the original plan. But plans change. And uh, I'm here for a rest. I was at my niece's wedding yesterday, which my sister lives in Sterling. My mother is in Sterling Manor, and she, I, on the way in, people have asked me how she is. She is physically great. She's only on vitamin D. She's 87. She's cognitively back in her childhood. And uh, as I sat beside her yesterday, she does not have a clue who I am. This is truly one of the most devastating diseases, a disease of the brain, and I work with this every day helping families deal with the emotional impact of a disease that has struck our society, dementia. But you know her spirit, uh, I love to hear the nurses say, she's our favorite client. She uh, greets everyone, loves everyone, makes everyone's bed and makes sure there's no wrinkles. She loves pink and she folds everything in the place. And um, (laughs) so you know you have, what we hold in our spirit stays true no matter what happens to our brain. So as I looked after a, a nun once who never stopped swearing, I said to, uh, in, a, in a wheelchair, I said to the nurses around me, you know, make sure you get rid of what you stuff down deep inside because someday it may come out and it may not be what you expect. So it is important that we deal with stuff inside. Don't stuff it, give it to Christ. Amen. And uh, that is a way to live. And I'd like to just say a word of encouragement to what Barry said. I won't be here, but come to prayer meeting. And I met a mighty man of God. Uh, I'll never forget him. His name was Mike. And I can't remember his last name, but God knows. And uh, this was a man that has traveled the world. And he said, if I could do it over again, every church service should be a prayer meeting. And he was so serious about that that when he called his church to prayer and they didn't show up, Sunday service became the prayer meeting. You didn't show up on Thursday for prayer. 
So today is the prayer meeting. And he was a mighty man of God. <laughs> and you know, um, on that note, I'd like to encourage you that corporate prayer is very important. You know that when we get to heaven, I told our body last week, that is not when we pray. And sometimes we get that a little mixed up. God doesn't need us to pray in heaven. But he does need us to stand as the sons and daughters of God right now in the earthly realm and bring heaven to what we're doing. That is what I'm called to. Um, my story of faith is a grandmother, I didn't know what she was talking about most of the time. She'd spend hours in prayer while I played beside her. I'd crawl under her arm. She talked in a funny language. And every once in a while, she talked in English. And I knew who she was praying for, who were my aunts and uncles that I knew, and all my cousins that I knew, and her husband, and the church leaders. And then she'd go into her funny language again and I would leave and play. I would come back, and she was still praying. She went into the heavenly realm when I was age 12. And I remember answering the altar call at her funeral that I would take her place in prayer. And I've spent a lifetime to try to answer that call. So I took a verse out of the word of God that we can actually have a spirit of prayer. We can carry a spirit of prayer. What does that mean? How does that change your life? Well, God can call you to pray anytime is what it means. Not to become religious about it, but to be spiritual about it. That he calls on you in your car, in the middle of the night, in the middle of your work day. That's who we are in the kingdom. We are standing to bring heaven into our world. We are mighty. We are powerful. And we don't realize it. But I'll tell you who does realize it. The enemy of our soul. And the thing he hates the most is that we would turn our life and our walk and our daily living to be able to stand in prayer at any time. He hates it because he has no weapon against it. Will you join me and ask God to give you a spirit of prayer that you could pray at any time? What does it mean? It means that you'll pray for the leaders in your community right now. Who are they? Do you know your mayor and his wife and his family? Do you know your city councilors and their wives and their families? Do you know them by name? That is our responsibility. Do we know our church leaders by name and their wives and their children Pray for them. Pray protection over their marriage and their relationships. Because we have that responsibility as sons and daughters of the kingdom. And I fully believe that when I stand before the throne of God, he, he might say to me, Cheryl, I was counting on you to pray for Prime Minister Trudeau and Sophia Gregoire and their three beautiful children. I wanted you to bring heaven to them, that they'd have a revelation of Christ, and you were too busy. I don't want them to say that. I was counting on the church to pray in the next prime minister that will stand with righteousness and have a heart aligned to God. And if we look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's very possible. You read about kings that stood in alignment with God. 
and those that didn't. And I just want to encourage you to pray. Can I just bless you with the spirit of prayer today? Father, we stand before you in the presence of Almighty God. You have called us as sons and daughters of God into your courts to make change this beautiful city, this nation, this province, this country, God. You have called us and we invite you to draw us to a spirit of prayer that it would be life transforming. As Sherry has said this morning, that we'd persevere in the things of the kingdom for the glory of God. Father, we pray a blessing over this people that from this day forward, they'd be drawn daily to a place of prayer and that we would be mighty for the kingdom of God because we hear you and we answer and we just take a moment in our busyness to pray. And we thank you, God, that you would use us, teach us, draw us, and make us mighty for your kingdom. We are your servants. We love you as the worship has said this morning. You're faithful. You're faithful forever. And we worship you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God. Uh, Barry says you could come and lead prayer Tuesday night if you're still around. We, we would love that. <laughs> Amen. A uh, couple of little housekeeping things. Where's Colin? Is he, where is he? Colin's last Sunday is with us today. We prayed over him and Rhonda a few weeks ago. Rhonda's already out at the new place and Colin ha- heads out with the moving van on uh, Friday, but he's packing it up on Thursday. So we need some help. So far he's got Rod. And I don't want to see Rod and Colin wore out. So Thursday at 9 o'clock, 422. Everybody say 422. 422. Gardenville Road. So write that down, that address. If you need to know where that is, Colin will tell you. He'll explain how to get there. Um, it's a beautiful drive. You go over the Bay Bridge and just take Redner's Hill Road, and it'll, and it'll lead you there. Uh, but it's a, it's a great drive to take. But, uh, you know, he's going to need some help loading that truck up. If you can help out Thursday morning, 9 o'clock. Everybody say Thursday morning, 9 And everybody who helps out has a place to stay when they're out in Vancouver Island. Okay, so that's the way it works. If you you help out, you you have a free place to stay when you're out there. That's how it works, okay? So if you want a free place to stay when you're in Vancouver Island, be there Thursday morning. It'll, it'll, you know, help you out. I'll be there. Don't worry. I'll be there. uh, one other, one other awesome announcement is is it's so good to have Will Colas home from seven months that Michelle has survived with that. Will, Will, would you just stand up? We are so glad to have you home, my friend. Praise the Lord. We're so proud of uh, you guys as a family and serving our nation uh, with our military, our Air Force, overseas for seven months. And uh, we have a lot of people in this house who know what that's like. That who are military families, they know the, the, the sacrifice that the whole family makes, not just the person who's deployed. And so we know what that's like, we, uh, not with personal experience, but standing with those people, and, and uh, some with personal experience. And uh, we just want, you know, we're so blessed that you're home, 
And uh, I know Michelle has got the biggest grin I've seen on her face in the last seven months today, but we are so glad to have you home. Praise the Lord. Thank God for his hand uh, of safety on you while you're away. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Amen. I think that's all the stuff I had down here. Can we uh, switch this thing over to my computer, please? That would be great. Um, just one uh, quick thing I want to remind you about. Thursday night, everybody say Thursday night. Thursday night at Calvary. Uh, Brooke Nichols is going to be there leading worship, have a time of worship and prayer. We are only a month away from the celebration of hope. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, Matt Mahar, uh, the afters. Uh, we have the colors going to be there. George Canyon is going to be there Sunday night for all the country folk. He's going to be there. Uh, yeah. Uh, all three country people in the church, they're like, yeah, you know. Uh, but uh, it's going to be an awesome time, and uh, we are so looking forward to it. Uh, there is going to be a lot of celebrating uh, as we get together on that time. So it's only a month out, so this is kind of a, a chance to get together with, with Brooke and uh, to worship together just a month out of the event. So, so come on out Thursday night. Let's pack Calvary out. I think we had six, 700 when we, uh, at the night when we started the whole campaign uh, at Maranatha. It was fantastic that night. And we want to double that. Uh, we just love to pack Calvary out. It would be fantastic. So Thursday night, 7 o'clock, be there. Uh, it will be an amazing, amazing time. Well, and also, don't forget next Sunday, bring a friend, bring an enemy, bring somebody. Uh, it's the kickoff. We are going to have a good time. And Pastor Mark's going to be painting every kid's face. Uh, uh, he... <laughs> Uh, parents are like, do I real? And he's using uh, uh, oil paint. So that's the best kind right there. Uh, so whatever he does is going to be there for a while, uh, but it's going to be good. Today I want to talk about serving from grace. We've been talking about grace uh, since last January for eight months, the last eight months. And uh, before I went on vacation, I was talking about living together as free men and women. And uh, I was making the point that none of us live in a bubble and you remember I put that quote up about living together. I said, no man's an island, right? Every man is a piece of the continent. We are all tied together. Nobody lives our, their life in isolation. And especially as a Christian, Paul made the point over and over again, you don't live your faith in a bubble. People are watching you. Paul said, we are all living epistles being read by all men. That's a, a strong uh, metaphor that we're, we're epistles being read by all men. Isn't that something? And, uh, you know, a living epistle, you know, like the uh, New Testament epistles, and you're being read by everyone. And, uh, you know, I also had a quote uh, that put a higher value on keeping unity in community of believers than on your personal opinion. All the Facebook junkies, read that, please. All right, hello. Uh, put a higher value on keeping unity in the community of believers than on your personal opinion. I'm not saying you can't have a personal opinion, just don't fight over personal opinions. Hello? All right. And so we talk about those things. These are all necessary for us to be able to live together uh, in the faith. And uh, then I talked about how I'm not the church, right? We are the church. And uh, I am not the bride. We are the bride. I am not the body. This is really important that uh, we understand. And as we get this, these principles down, we start moving into where we're going this fall. We're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit. 
We're going to be talking about what it is to operate by the gifts of the Spirit. And it's a good reminder for us as we connect these two together that all the operations of the gifts, whatever gifts we function in, are all there by grace. They're not there because of study, by self-discipline, by uh, you know, personal professional development. They're there by the Spirit, and they come to us by what? Grace. They come to us by grace. Praise the Lord. All right. So, I talked about um, these three things. We need to know whose we are, who we are, and to whom we're called. Whose are we? We are property of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We're adopted into his family. Who are we? We're sons and daughters. We've been called, we've been equipped, we've been gifted. That's who we are. And who are we called to? You know, the idea that you can live your faith in isolation, again, is silly. You have been called to walk it out with other people. There's no place for the no church movement uh, in Christianity. Well, you know, I, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I don't, I, don't, I don't believe in his church. Really, that's impossible because Jesus died for his church. He gave his life for his church. He gave his life for his people. And yes, they're not perfect. I got news for you. I'm going to say it right now just to clear the air. Desert Stream is not perfect. Why? Because you're here. Because I'm here. It's not perfect. We're here. We bring all our imperfections into it, but that's what makes it a family, right? And there's no way you can live out your Christianity without knowing whom you're called to be with and walking that out. You can't. You can't live out your faith in isolation. It doesn't work that way. There's, you can search the scripture out. You won't find any room for that. The only time people lived out their faith in isolation is when they were in prison for it. And even there, even there, Paul managed to pray down the roof so that they had a prayer meeting and everybody got together and, uh, and they were let free, right? Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is the scripture for us folks. Uh, we have to understand the power of living our life out together. Now, um, then I, th- I think you guys will remember this, this wonderful quote by Bill Johnson. Talked about how God had a dream and he wrapped your body around it. <laughs> that is a killer. Now, let me just move on. Then the first or second week, I think I was talking about this, and this is important. There's a reason why I'm doing this. We talked about the performance trap. Isn't that a great image, by the way? The old mouse trap with the money in it. Come on. But the performance trap. And we, we talked about how the world measures us and how well we do, but when it comes to the love of God, your performance does not qualify you, and your failure does not disqualify you. Right? Remember that? And why is that important? Because this morning I want to talk about serving from grace. And we need to be reminded of this truth before we start talking about serving. Because there's a tendency whenever we start talking about serving in the body of Christ for people to pick up the idea again that if I serve more, God will love me more. And if I do a good job, then that makes me a better person. Right? Lies. Not true. No matter how much good you do, it's not like your life is a scale. You do so much good, it outweighs the bad. No, Jesus took the bad. It isn't, it isn't like that. Well, if I just do all these good things, then, then God will turn his, his face away from the bad things. He's only turning his face away from the bad things because of Jesus. Not because of how many good things you did, right? It, it, life is not a, a set of scales that way. And uh, so we need to understand our performance doesn't qualify us, and our failure does not disqualify us. That before I start talking about service, we have to go all the way back to where we began and recognize this deep truth. 
that we stand or we rise or we fall by the grace of God. Everybody say the grace of God. It's by the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul had to give those two verses, uh, verses 8 and 9, before he could give verse 10, right? He had to put verse 10 in context. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if he said just verse 10, there's people that would go back to this whole earn-deserve thing. But he put it in the context of verse 8 and 9 to do away with that. That you, it's by grace that you've been saved. It's got nothing to do with yourself. It's of God, so nobody can boast. But you have been redeemed to do good work. God did save you to do good things. He did purchase you so that you could fulfill the things that God wants to do in and through your life. He did it with great intention. God's a very intentional God. You can't earn God's grace. You're not more valuable because you perform well. God loves you the same regardless, right? Understand that. But that he did redeem you so that you could uh, serve him and be used by him. Praise the Lord. I am not saved, that is, redeemed or adopted, uh, a son or daughter of God because I work, right? Serve, give, love, sacrifice, etc. I work, serve, love, give, and sacrifice because I'm saved. Does everybody get that? All right. Now, I had to lay that foundation before we get into the rest of this message today. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a volunteer here this morning. Uh, come on, somebody... Dave? I should pick Dave? All right, why not? Dave, come on up here, man. All right, come here. Now, Dave, Dave, I have a, I have a portrait here, okay? And what I want you to do, uh, this is a test of your, your, your mind, okay? <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five seconds to look at this portrait, all right, then I'm going to cover it up again, okay? And you've got, to the best of your ability, right, describe the person in the portrait okay. with only five seconds. Okay. All right, we're good? All right, so let me put this up here nice and high like this. Is there a prize? Oh, yeah, the prize is that Jesus loves you. Okay, are you ready? So, no, 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 come right here. Come right here. You got it. You got it. You got to get right here because so, you got to look at it, all right? Because you got to take it all in, man. It's going to be just you. All right? Are you ready? Okay. So oh. there you go. Now, I want you five seconds is all you've got. Okay. Five seconds. Three. Oh, okay. Five. Okay. Describe what you saw. Uh, well, very, um, you can tell just right there, very intelligent individual. Um, <laughs> what color, what color of, of clothes? Uh, well, he... Um, he rocks kind of like the, you know, grayish, uh, blue, just really good Dallas Cowboys type of, uh, <laughs> oh, I think I just did it. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, color hat? Uh, red. Red, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, clean shaven? Uh, you know what? It's, it's somewhat trimmed here and here and here. <laughs> so um, I would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that's pretty good detail. How are you able to come up with so much detail? 
Uh, well, uh, I just I just looked at it. I focused, and uh, I was just told what to do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. You know, thank you very much, Dave. Give Dave a hand here. Oh, thank you. Carl, I hear the prize is uh, at your place there at West. That's that's the prize. Right. <laughs> like I said, Jesus loves you. That's the prize. There you go. You know, easy for Dave to do because it was a mirror. You see, and, you know, it's important illustration, and uh, it's a biblical illustration that we're going to look at in just a moment. And it's found in the book of James, right? And, uh, and, and you know... Dave was able to look at that image with only five seconds, and he didn't forget what he saw because he sees it all the time, right? And, uh, you know, James wrote those words in Scripture, which we'll look at in a minute. And, uh, you know, James is one of those biblical characters that um, we uh, know often uh, so little about, but James had a unique perspective of Jesus Christ. James had a unique perspective because James was Jesus' earthly brother, Right? James that wrote the the New Testament book of James is often referred to as James the Less, not because he was less than James, John's brother, but because he considered himself less than Jesus. So he described himself as James the Less because he was less than Jesus. And so he he wrote one of the letters that we have in the New Testament written by the earthly brother of Jesus. Now, um, we know that, uh, you know, he's the oldest of those brothers because we have them described somewhere in the scripture and I think it was in Matthew 13 uh, the four brothers of Jesus James Joseph Simon and Judas uh, Lottie maybe didn't even know that Jesus had four earthly brothers but James was the oldest of the four um, when was James born how much younger than Jesus was he we don't know um, but you do remember when Jesus was 12 and they went to Jerusalem for the Passover do you guys remember that story and mom and dad couldn't find him right and they're they're looking for him and, uh, but they don't notice that he's missing for three days. And I often thought, how did they not know the dude was missing for three days? First of all, because I happen to believe that Jesus was probably their least problem child. You know, kind of goes without saying, right? Uh, it's hard to imagine the, 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 the divine son of God being a real troublemaker. You know what I mean? Uh, he might have had a lot of fun, but I can't imagine there's a whole lot of disobedience or anything going on there. So he was probably the easiest of the five children to take care of. And so my suspicion is the reason they didn't notice he was missing for three days is because they were busy with the other four. You understand what I'm saying? And they had the other four to take care of. Now all of a sudden they were like, wait a minute, where's, where's Jesus? And he was back in Jerusalem uh, in the temple uh, talking scripture with the, the, the leaders and the teachers of the law, and they were all amazed at how smart this 12-year-old was as he was back debating with them in the temple. And so Jesus had four brothers. James was the oldest of them. He watched Jesus grow up. And so the point that I'm making that is that James had a very unique perspective on Jesus that John, uh, you know, the, the disciple who wrote in the New Testament did not have, even though he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had some great revelation about Jesus, but I think he had some things in his understanding that only, uh, that, that I should say James had, but he didn't have, because John didn't even get called as a disciple until he was an adult, right? James was with him from his earliest memories, right? And then we all know that Paul was special. Paul was called as an apostle, but Paul also did not have the same kind of revelation, I think, that James had of Jesus. And so if we want to know what 
anybody's got to say about how to, to serve by grace, I think we, we could listen to James. I think he'd probably give us some pretty good counsel, don't you? And, uh, and that's where the illustration came from this morning, is from the book of James. Uh, and, and James, I'm gonna, we're going to read through some, a passage of Scripture here with James today. And uh, we're going to uh, look at uh, what James had to say about what it is to serve and to, to give by grace. So here's what he says. Verse 22 of James uh, chapter 1, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Wow. Already that's probably one of the most powerful statements that anybody could make right there. Do not merely listen to the word. Don't merely listen to a sermon, right? And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Wow. Do what it says. Everybody say, do what it says. says. That's pretty good advice. Anyone listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You notice that that didn't happen to Dave. He knows what he looks like. He looks in the mirror every day and he goes, man, I look good, right? And, uh, you know, he realizes and understands who he is. It's not like he walks by a mirror and goes, whoa, who's that guy, right? I mean, we know who we are. We recognize ourselves. And it's a very natural thing for us to look in the mirror and recognize ourselves. Well, James is saying it should be just as natural to hear the word and do what it says. And it's as unnatural as forgetting what we look like as it is to forget the word of God and not do what it says. Do you understand what James is trying to get at? He used an incredibly simple illustration to drive home a powerful truth that once we have witnessed the word, seen the word, heard the word, that we are are by nature to do what it says and to not forget what it is that we have heard, what it is that we have seen. It's kind of absurd to forget what we look like. It should be equally absurd to forget to do the word of God. That's what James is trying to get across to us. Listening to God's word and uh, not doing what it says is a form of self-deception, he says. Uh, You know, it is uh, self-deception. And you know, the first time you look in a mirror as a little kid, you might not recognize what you see. But probably by the time they're even, you know, uh, 10, 11 months old, they look in the mirror and all of a sudden they recognize as soon as they look in the mirror who they see. Before that, maybe the only face they recognize is mom and dad, you know, but eventually they quickly figured who they are, and then little kids become obsessed with mirrors, right? We have a mirror in our hall covered in fingerprints all the time, because it's one of those full-length mirrors, so I can admire myself in the the full, right? And uh, it's a skinny mirror. It's one of those ones that makes you look skinnier than you are, so you really like that mirror. How many like those kind of mirrors? You look at it and go, oh, yeah. I'm looking good. I don't need to go to the gym this week. Look at that. <laughs> you know, we have one of those mirrors, and the grandkids like it too because there's always fingerprints on it and stuff because they love to look in the mirror because they recognize who they see. It's as simple and childlike as that that we should hear the word and do what it says. Someone say amen. And that leads us to the revelation, the understanding that the word of God is all about application. It's all about application. It's not about knowledge. It's not about how many verses you have memorized. It's about how many verses you've internalized. You understand the difference? Memorizing is here. 
Internalizing is here. And then the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak, speak right? Because of something in here, like Cheryl was talking about with her mom. It's, even though she's cognitively not there anymore, her spirit is still the most refreshing spirit in the place, right? Because her spirit has been shaped by the Word of God. Are you hearing me? It's been shaped by the Word of God. And so everywhere she goes, her spirit is forever imprinted by God's Word. And how God wants us to not be people who just know the Bible, but people who live the Bible. People who've been shaped by the Bible. People who've been transformed by His Word. That's what He's looking for. So don't study the Word so you can be a smarter sinner, right? Study and memorize and internalize the Scripture so that your life is transformed. So that you're able to do what it says. Someone say amen. Amen. A lot of other stuff today, so not enough time, but I'm going to move quick. Here we go. Um, Watch what you say. Listen to where James goes next. He says, if anyone considers himself religious or a person of faith, religious here isn't, he's not putting down religion in this context. He's talking about, you know, what is though true religion? What is good religion? He said, if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Man, Jesus' brother was awful strong on, on his statements, was he not? Uh, and then he says, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. A lot of times we use a lot of measurements for our, ourselves to say that I'm a man of faith and it's good religion because I go to prayer every week and I, and I spend six hours in the Word every day and I do all these things. And we think that's good. But, but again, James is driving home, if all of that spiritual environment doesn't transform the heart and produce fruit in keeping with a transformed heart, then your religion is, is useless and you're self-deceived. You're just a religious head, you know? How many people have bodies just walking around carrying a head? You know what I mean? Instead of being engaged in kingdom and in kingdom work, right? Is your body just something that transports your big head full of all kinds of biblical knowledge? Or is your body something that is being an instrument of God used to touch the world? Looking after orphans and widows in distress and keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. Wow. What a strong description. And, and how the number one way you keep yourself from being polluted by the world is putting a zipper on it. Hello? Man, sometimes we need to zipper that thing up. Sometimes I wish there was one of those that I could actually reach out and pull across for you, help you out there. Sometimes I wish there was one I could pull across and help myself out. Anybody in my shoes? Come on. Sure you have. If you can't agree with me, you're lying. <sighs> you know, uh, the reality is, the reality is that what comes out of my mouth is what defiles me, right? Later in James chapter 3, he expands on this truth, and he compares our tongue to the rudder of a ship, to uh, a bridle on a horse's mouth, to uh, a spark that sets a forest on fire. And he concludes with, uh, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. 
Then in verse 10, he says, Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, my brothers. This should not be. Again, incredibly strong preaching coming from Jesus' brother and incredibly practical preaching. Where did he get such influence from? Hmm, I wonder. Maybe Matthew 12, 35, when Jesus says, For out of the overflow or the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or Matthew 15, 11, What goes into a man's mouth, Jesus said, does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. I think James hung around Jesus enough that that kind of truth, that kind of understanding rubbed off on him. And what you hear James saying is basically the same thing, using different illustrations, uh, using different metaphor, but I'm telling you, he's communicating the same thing. This right here will get you in trouble. Hello? And how many know that this and this are the same thing? Oh, uh, this is this generation's nemesis. You know, whereas maybe previous generations, uh, ever since Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone, this was our, our problem. But... You know, uh, every time we create a new technology, it allows us to distance ourselves from face-to-face communication. It makes it easier for us to fall into the trap of saying things that we shouldn't say. When we say them face-to-face, we're held more accountable. We're held immediately accountable. You know, someone can say to us, hey, you shouldn't say that. But when on the telephone, it's a little harder. When you go from the telephone to the keyboard, it's even harder still. And we can end up getting ourselves in a lot of trouble by not keeping our mouth fingers shut. Everybody say amen. Amen. So that's good preaching, Pastor. All right. Okay, so don't merely hear the word. Do what it says. Watch what you say, James says. And I'm going someplace with this, all right? And then the third one, serve one another like you believe. Everybody say like you believe. All right. Look at the scripture here, James chapter 2, 14 and 19. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Ouch. Man, oh man. James, the brother of Jesus, was probably the straightest shooter that there was in the entire uh, scripture. I mean, he he has just pulled out all the stops here this morning. All right? He says, put your money where your mouth is, right? Walk the talk. Practice what you preach. Don't be all talk and no action. Uh, Actions speak louder than words. Talk is cheap. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on with euphemism after euphemism, but they're all telling us the same thing James is saying, right? They're all saying the same thing. Every kind of idiom you can speak of, but they all say the same thing. That if all you are is talk and you don't do, do you really know Jesus? If if the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't change us in the way we act, do we really know him? That's what James, the brother of Jesus, 
was trying to get across to us. Do we really know him? Can such a faith that has not transformed you so that you want to actually do something be a real faith? Can that faith really save you? I think what he's trying to say is if, that, if, it, if it doesn't transform your life so that you do something, then it's just head faith. It's never got to your heart. That's what James' point was. He wasn't saying that you can work yourself into salvation. He's just saying if you actually know Jesus, it impacts your heart, and it's got to change the way you live. It has to. Biggest problem in our culture today is we're completely self-absorbed. Everything is about me. And they've gotten so blatant about it, they don't even apologize about it any, anymore. In fact, it's a selling point. Oh, if I hear one more story about somebody who's taking some time just for me. Just taking some time for me. And I understand, don't get me wrong, I understand the whole need to, you know, recharge your batteries. I get that, but do you need to go on Facebook and say, I just needed some me time. Just needed me. Just need me. I just need to do something for me. Something special for me. Oh, and I hear that over and over and over again. And every celebrity does it. And everybody goes, oh, so good for you. Good for you. Take time for you. You need time for you. You'll be a better person if you take time for you. You know, truthfully, you'll actually be a worse person. Because the more t- obsessed you get with yourself, then the, the more, you know, smaller your world gets. And the more self-centered your world gets. I'm just waiting for person say, I just needed to take some time to give. I just, needed to, I just needed to go and serve somewhere. I just needed to go to the local soup kitchen and pour my life out. I don't read those kind of things. Be nice if I did, but that's not what you hear. It's always, I just needed some more me time, right? They're already, their whole world's already about them. <laughs> you know, it's already about them. You don't need more me time. What you need is some, some, you know, get away from yourself and serve somebody time. Are you hearing me? Oh, it drives me nuts. The celebrity culture today is as poisoned with with, uh, self-centeredness as it's ever been. And the worst part about it today is it's celebrated. At least if somebody was a self-absorbed individual, you know, 50 years ago in Hollywood, there were some people there to call them out on it. No, not today. It's just like it's celebrated. Oh, good for you. Good for you. You needed to do that. That's good. No, it's usually bad. Because they just spiral into a deeper cesspool of me. Me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. I'm telling you. Do you guys remember that video I played here of the guy, the piano? The, the whole new worship songs, it's all about me, it's not about you. Do you remember that? <laughs> I should have dug that up for this morning. It would have been fantastic. <laughs> Ooh, uh, you know, James was telling us that as a believer, we, can, uh, that, uh, we can't miss the truth of family. And you'll notice it in that scripture uh, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. James starts with how we treat one another. Why? Well, because how we treat one another is a true reflection of how we see one another. Do we see one another as a family or as outsiders? When you come to church, is this family or is this just a collection of foreigners, of outsiders to you? And secondly, because how we treat one another is a, a revealer of the condition of our heart. 
James had probably heard John's, the disciples speak many times, so he probably understood uh, when John said, if you, someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this uh, commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must, everybody say must, must love his brother. Must. By this, Jesus said, by this, Jesus said, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. By this, not by how much scripture you have memorized, not by the law, not by anything else, by this one revealing thing, if you have love one for another. Let's wrap up where James ended up, verse 19. I find this a very interesting verse. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. <laughs> you know, what this is telling us again is that just saying we believe, just telling people I'm a Christian, is really, if it hasn't transformed your life, so what? You believe that there's a God. The demons of hell believe there's a God. And it's making them shake in their boots. James is trying to make us understand it's got to go deeper than that. It's got to transform how we live. It has to literally cause us to love and to serve one another. We're going to be next week starting to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And the first thing we got to understand about the gifts of the Spirit is that God has given them so that we can encourage, equip, and edify one another in the body of Christ. The three E's right? That that's why they've been given to us. They haven't been given to us so we can, you know, get, you know, when I was in Boy Scouts, we used to have a, uh, a sash that we wore when we showed up for Scouts, and you, and you used to put all your badges on it, right? You guys, anybody still do that? They, they still have Scouts and all that kind of stuff. And that all, I had my, I had every badge you could think of. I had a whole string of them. I was a, I was a good kid, man. I had them all. I had all kinds of little badges. And, and, you know, and you'd wear that sash, and you'd see some new kid come in, and your sash is decorated, and he ain't got nothing. And you were like, look who I am. You know how many Christians I see walk around with the gifts of the Spirit the same way? I have the gift of prophecy. <laughs> I want you to know I gave $10,000 to the kingdom last year. I speak in tongues more than you all. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. We talk about the gifts of the Spirit and their operation in our life as if they're our badges. They're not. They're all given to us by God's grace. That's why sometimes the new Christians make the best people to work with the gifts of the Spirit. Because they haven't learned about, you know, it being a qualifier. They haven't been introduced to the bad system yet. They just want what God wants. So they just walk around doing it. And we want to go to them and say, well, you really shouldn't give that word yet because you're really, you're not cleared. We haven't, we haven't cleared you. We haven't qualified you. I thought it was him that qualified. And then we were qualified by grace. That's what I thought. You know what you guys thought? That's what I believe. All right. So over those, as we get into this fall, talking about gifts of the Spirit, it's, about, it's going to be about serving. 
one another by grace. And it's going to be about serving from grace. And all three of those words are important. We don't do it for God's grace. We do it from God's grace. Everybody say amen, Pastor. Well, I'm done. We're out of time. Let's stand together. Dave, I want you to know you're looking good this morning, brother. That mirror was telling the truth. Come on, man. I'm so looking forward to talking about the gifts of the Spirit. You know, but when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and, and can, can you all do me a favor? And, and as we, we try to identify gifts, and we're, we're going we're gonna to work through the whole gamut, the different types of gifts there are, it's going to be a lot of fun. But don't go home and start working on your sash. Okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't, don't go home and start working on that and say, I just can't wait to find out which badges I get to sew on my sash, right? That's not the whole purpose of it. We are here to learn how God can work through us to encourage, to edify, to equip one another in the body of Christ. We want to be empowered. We want to see God do a harvest, and the harvest is going to come when his people walk in the Spirit and work and serve by the Spirit. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank you today for this wonderful day. Oh, Jesus, we're so blessed. Father, we thank you that your grace has redeemed us and that, Father, we do not work for anything that is connected to your heart. Father, it is all given to us by God's grace. But, Father, we do recognize that you, Father, have called us to to battle from your grace, to work from your grace, to serve from your grace, and Lord, to do it with the idea and the understanding that God, you want to use us to achieve your kingdom uh, on earth until you come again. Father, we thank you that you've even counted us to be part of the family, to be part of the family business, to be able to, to, to work together with you, but Father, we thank you that we do it by your grace. And Father, today we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit and all of these spiritual gifts so that, Father, once again, it's on you and not on us. And we thank you for it today and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thursday night or Tuesday night, you're going to be here. Thursday night, where are you going to be? Calvary. I said Tuesday night, you're going to be here. And then Thursday night, you're going to be at Calvary Temple. And Thursday morning, if you, want, if you can help Colin, he's standing at the back there right by the mailbox. Go see him. Don't make him pack that bus with just me and Rod. That'd be awful. Uh, go see him, and he'd really appreciate it. God bless you.